Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I trust we're all gathered together for a single purpose. We're here together with uh, one goal in mind, that's to, to worship the Lord. So we, we came together for one reason, although throughout this week, this past week, I believe this congregation was involved in a wide range of activities with a wide range of occupations. Don't want to start mentioning any for fear of missing some. I think we have here a wide range of hobbies, a wide range of projects that we're working on, and without doubt, we have a wide range of opinions, which is okay, as long as we're not contrary to, to God's word. So we think of the diversity, and we could continue, but uh, I'd like to make uh, mention of this. There is one thing that we all have in common. There's one thing we all have in common, uh, and we cannot change it. And I don't think that we want to change it, that you would want to change it. And the thing that we all have in common is that we are all part of a family. If I counted correctly, there are 26 different last names here this morning. Okay, on our membership roll. Welcome you visitors especially, in case your name is different to what we currently have. And there are... 60 different families represented. 26 different names and 60 families. And as you saw just a few minutes ago, we are blessed, blessed with, with many children. So we all belong to a part, we all belong to a family. Yeah, you are special in God's eyes. He blessed you this morning. Uh, with the family to fulfill his special purpose, your special purpose for him. And there is no one here this morning that is here by mistake. And there is no one here this morning that is here without a purpose. So God designed family uh, back in the book of Genesis, and his design and his will that he designed many, many years ago is still the same for each family here today. Turn to Colossians 3. If you're a visitor here this morning, I have been preaching through Colossians, and we're going to continue on there, Colossians 3. We had the busy week, like probably many of you had, and about 10 minutes ago, my wife looked at me, and she said, well, you didn't give me any hint what you're preaching about this morning. I looked at her, and I said, wives submit, and she kind of looked at me a little bit. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, you heard what Ray said, look past me and look at what God has for us this morning. Colossians 3, verses 18 through 20, uh, 25. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So yes, we have something for everyone this morning. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they become discouraged. Servants... Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, 
knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respecter of persons. <coughs> Wives submit is point number one. Oh, by the way, message title, God's design for the family. This is not Leon's design. God's design for the family. Wives submit. Um, to be submit could, I emphasize that word, be described as such. The action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or the will or authority of another person. Don't cringe, just relax, it's okay. Does that sound like the definition that God intended for the Christian family? And when you go back over that briefly, um, uh, yielding to the superior force, I think that definition would better fit uh, the horse harnessed in a carriage with a bit in its mouth. But that's a definition that was found. And I also would think that the word submit gets twisted, used, and possibly abused today by some in order for the man to get his way in marriage. But take a quick look at the end of verse 18 and also the beginning of verse 19 as we get our minds thinking. Yes, I I mentioned that, and we see the first two words that we looked at, we read in the Bible, our wives submit. But let's look briefly at the end of that uh, verse 18. As it is fit in the Lord, okay, and then jump into verse 19, husband's love. Just think about that for, for a moment. We need to be careful that we apply not just a part of the verse, but the entire verse. And we're going to take a, a closer look at verse 19 just shortly, but let's consider the three facts that we see listed here. Number one, the wife is called to submit. Sorry, we can't, we can't erase the facts. Number two, she's to submit in a way that honors and pleases the Lord. And number three, the husbands are called to express love to the wife at all times. Submit. I believe uh, Paul's exhortation to submit is based on the example of Jesus back during his time on the earth. We, we, we read that Jesus lived in perfect submission to the will of his heavenly father. Does, it, does that thought line up with the definition I gave earlier? I, I don't think so. And I also believe that the woman's submission is in response to the sacrificial love of her husband. So the teaching to submit along with the command to love goes hand in hand. When both are properly exercised, they will flow naturally. Now, the Greek verb submit, another definition, expresses a voluntary positive submission rather than one that is imposed. So back to Christ again. He lived how? In a perfect voluntary submission. Why? Because of his desire to please his father. And when the relationship is correct in in a marriage setting, I believe the word submit becomes a non-issue due to the ingredient of love for his wife, then she will voluntarily uh, comply and her desire will be to please her husband. Another definition for submit and better here, I believe, to be subject to... Or to place oneself under the authority of another. So to place oneself under authority of another does not uh, indicate demanded subjection, but rather a place where one is content to dwell willingly. I think that's how it should be 
in our homes. God's design is for the woman to be submissive to her husband, but we cannot deny that fact. But God did not design a forced submission. He did not design a forced submission, rather a submission that comes from the woman's desire to please her husband, as we see that Jesus had a desire to please his heavenly father. The Bible does not teach male dominance over women. The Bible does not teach that men are to dominate over them. Instead, what I see, what we should see, is a two-way street where both spouses are living in subjection to the word of God. So let's not, men, let's not open our Bibles and, and point to verse 18. Time out. Take your fingers back. Let's just, we both need to be in subjection to God's word. Yes, we need to remember that God did place the man in head, to be head of the woman. But as it is with any team or, or group of workers, someone needs to be in charge. There needs to be a captain or a, a foreman. So in order to have the family team operate in a smooth way, God designed the man to be the captain in the home team. But, as is often pointed out, there is no I in team. So while there is a captain for the team, the team effort put the team puts forth effort to reach for the win. And so it is with God's design in uh, the marriage relationship. You asked the children that were up front here this morning what one plus one is, the answer will be two. That's but in God's design for marriage, one plus one is one. So one flesh. Ephesians 5.31, for this call shall a man leave his father and mother, they shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So we're looking at God's design. The design is not promoting the idea of one being over the other. Both persons are the same flesh, and it's a beautiful picture that God set in place. Also, the Bible does not teach that one is superior and the other inferior. We cannot find that in God's words. In uh, 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, love your wives, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. So women are called the weaker vessel, but weaker does not refer to, the, uh, to being of a lesser value. Some things that we look at, but we need to be careful how, it's, how, we, uh, how we view it. Authority... It's not the same as taking advantage of, neither is submission being referred to as being inferior. So we go back to the verse in Ephesians, one plus one is one. A quote from Sword and Trumpet, women, I quote, women who cultivate a healthy attitude towards submission will not be threatening their undisputed equality with men. They are simply making themselves available for fruit bearing in the Lord's vineyard. It's a different twist to it. They're just making themselves available for fruit bearing in the Lord's vineyard. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. I like to look at that as a voluntary submission because of verse 19, which is the husband's love, which is point number two. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Gentlemen, it's our turn. Love. So think back a little bit, gentlemen, husbands, to your first date. Or maybe go back to the feelings you had before you even ask her out. Um, and 
in your time of dating leading up to marriage and, and the time moves on, do you still have a similar uh, feelings? By God's design, we are continuing to love every day and all day. <coughs> I think we would all admit that Paul was a, a good writer. I think we'd all admit that he had the ability to write out in these verses to encourage men to support their wives, to cherish their wives, to provide for and to honor and to be faithful to our wives. But instead, here he took the short route and used a word that surpasses all the things that I mentioned earlier, and that he's, he's saying, husbands, love your wives. And the word love here is the same word that's used in John three sixteen. the same affection for God so loved the world. And what did that cost? That cost his son, his life. And this type of love is clearly also clearly described in 1 Corinthians 13, which we refer to as the love chapter, verses 4 and 5. Charity or love suffers long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Men are those verses describing your character. Two more verses on the subject of love, 1 John 4.10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent himself, his son to be the appeasement for our sins. Romans 5.8. But God showed his love towards us that, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what we are, see there is a love that knows no limits. The type of love is a, a willing, sacrificial love to the point of giving a oneself for the benefit of another while expecting nothing in return. In my studies, I come across this. Love is slow to suspect, quick to trust. Slow to condemn, quick to justify. Slow to offend, quick to defend. Slow to expose, quick to shield. Slow to reprimand, quick to forbear. Slow to demand, quick to give. Slow to provoke, quick to resolve. Slow to hinder, quick to help. Slow to resent and quick to forgive. And yes, I know most of your wives are saying, yep, that sounds exactly like my husband here this morning. I'm not saying we're perfect and never slip and make a mistake, but here's, here's the point. Genuine love should be the norm and not the exception. Do we love like we, first, like we did back when we first met our, our wives? Husbands were called to treat our wives with an abundant supply of kindness, not in a harsh, demanding way. <clears throat> the end of verse 19 makes me wonder if Paul was aware of some husbands who were struggling with bitterness. He says, love your wives, which we can understand, which I trust we do. He says, be not bitter against them. Hopefully sometime we can sit down with Paul and ask him some questions. But bitter speaks of being annoying or with an angry attitude. So let's not be two-faced, gentlemen. Uh, let's not be a, a fine young man at, at our workplace or place of business that mean and ugly and arrogant in the home. And that those of you who study know what I'm talking about. You study sometimes and you come across something in your mind that uh, you think about. And not to go off on a bunny trail, but I hope I'm not stepping on any toes this morning. 
But I, um, <clears throat> I, I thought it was, it's quite disrespectful when a husband calls his wife mom. You can hold your opinions. I, gotta be, I want to preach the word of God, but this is just an opinion of mine here. It's kind of like, oh, mom, get me this or, or get me that. And I think there's, much, there's nicer or much more appropriate names you could call her if you choose not to call her by her first name. She might be a mother to your children, but think about it. So anyway, that's just a little bit of a side note, but that's just an opinion that I have. I think husbands can call their wives something a little bit better than mom. <clears throat> it was never God's intention that your wife should come running whenever you call. That's not how God designed it. Your wife is your dear loving partner and not to be treated like your favorite servant. There is no place for rudeness or meanness in the Christian home. God is, is a God of love and compassion and we're called to mirror his image in our homes. Are we living with love? And also believe that God intended um, his law on leadership and authority in the home should be strengthened by his law of love. So you go back to 18. Wives submit. Correct. You jump into verse 19 and we see uh, husband's love. In Ephesians 5, we see the husband is called to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Again, circling back around, a love that knows no limits. Also in Ephesians 5, in verses 21 through 33, there are three verses that tell the wife that she is to submit to her husband's leadership. Three times must have been a, a point Paul wanted to, to drive home, make sure he got it across, and he wrote it out three times. Husband, women, submit. And men, before we start grinning, he also mentions in the, in the same amount of verses nine times that men are to love their wives. Nine times, he says, gentlemen, love your wives. And sometimes it feels like people put pressure on the women to submit, when in reality, we should be looking at all the times that men are instructed to love. We could ask the question, is one more important than the other? Well, the fact is, both are commanded, so both are equally important. May we willingly submit to God's perfect design for the family. Husbands, we should take, do as much as possible to express our love for our, our wives. Or do we take time to thank her for the meals she makes, the lunches she packs, or the preparations that she makes for you to pack your own lunch, however it is in your home. Do you tell your wife you love her? Do you remember her birthday and your anniversary? I did not have this all figured out yet. We only had our 30th anniversary this past week, so we're still in our honeymoon stages, but we're, we're working in that direction. I'm not saying I had this all figured out, but here we go. Another thing we need to forget, uh, young man, she took your last name. So that should make you feel important or at least uh, a sense of you owe her some due diligence and respect. Some women didn't change her last name. Congratulations to you all. But she promised to share the joys and sorrows with you. Are we loving our wives as Christ loved the church? Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself for it. So we looked at the, at, at the wives and the husbands and children, before you fall asleep, here we go. Third point, verse 20. Children, obey. Uh, or you're going to sink, like we saw a little bit earlier. 
when we take off the armor. A good job, young uh, Derek, for the children's meeting. Are we obedient as he taught every time so the armor does not come off a piece at a time? Children, are we obedient? I'm sure you knew the Bible tells you to obey your parents. But let's take the verse takes it a step further. It says uh, it tells us to obey sometimes, and if it if it pleases, if if you feel like it, and the ob, ob, absolutely not incorrect. The Bible says we are to obey in all things or all the time. What does it mean to obey? We hear it a lot, but what does it mean to listen to and to carry out the instructions of your parents? Simple. Young, young people, listen to your parents, carry out their instructions. Uh, the verb obey, I'm not an English teacher, but it's in the present continuous tense, meaning obedience to your parents is to be ongoing and habitual. And I kind of like that. It's to be habit-forming. Yes, some habits are bad, need to be discontinued, but not the habit of obeying. Need to continue on each and every day. A habit is a, is a settled or a, a regular tendency or practice, especially one that's hard to give up. And I also like that, children. You should be easier to obey, and it should be easy to obey, and hard to disobey. Habit, sometimes you just do things without even thinking. That's the kind of, of uh, message we'd like to get across to you guys. Do it without thinking. We're children to obey in all things. It's not to be an option. And to obey is to obey right away. Well, sometimes children ask the question, why? Why should I obey? Well, look at the verse. Children, obey your parents in all things. We covered that. And here's the answer to your question, why? For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Obeying your parents is a conduct that pleases the Lord. If you were listening a little bit ago, your mother submits to your father because it pleases the Lord, and your father loves your mother because it pleases the Lord. Now, children, when you obey, it puts a smile on the Lord's face. Well, what if I don't obey? Okay, let's look at that a little bit. Children who, who will, do not learn to obey their parents will tend to disobey their school teachers. I invite you all over for supper sometime. Man, do we have fun at supper time. I have two daughters teaching school, and we get a rehash every day almost. It's great. Children who do not obey their parents will tend to disobey their school teachers. Then they'll disobey the police or their employers, basically anyone who tries to have exercise authority over them. Okay, well, what's the solution? So a key fact in life and to learn at a, at a, at a young age, to, uh, I would encourage you to learn, learn at the youngest age possible, and that is this fact, that you will always be under the authority of someone. You will always be under the authority of someone. After church is over, ask someone who they're an authority under. And I'm pretty confident that everyone here, myself included, will say, will give you a list of people who are over them. Your employer will tell you what to do. The police will make sure you obey the laws of the land. The government will make sure you pay your taxes, and you will always be accountable to God. We do not live in a lawless society. So the quicker we learn to accept the fact that we need to obey our parents, the happier you will be. 
Children, do you have a desire to please the Lord? Well, here in a big way, you can do exactly that. Obey your parents. Wives submit, husbands love, children obey. <clears throat> and for the fourth point, uh, at the, to finish up this chapter, I put it under two more designs from God. And we'll see one in verse 21, another one in verse 22. But the one in verse 21 is fathers, or I like to translate this parents. It could be either way. Parents, provoke not your children to anger, lest they become discouraged. And here again, another question like this, I'll read like to sit down with Paul sometime and ask him what was happening behind the scenes that inspired him to tell parents that we're not to provoke our children to anger. But he does give us a clear warning. Do not discourage your children. Instead, cultivate a good attitude in your child's life and do your best to encourage them. Children are not adults, quite obviously. They will not think like adults. They cannot work and handle the jobs like an adult. So encourage them to be who they can be. Encouragement will go a long way. Tearing your child down will cause them to lose heart, and also it will introduce rebellion. So what do we need to do? Can we teach our children to work? Absolutely. Do the jobs they're capable of doing. But back to the verse and on the provoking, some ways of provoking would be constant nagging, unfavorable criticism, inappropriate punishment, not keeping your promises, be careful with that one, or favoritism to siblings, be careful with that one as well. We need to be equal with our children. The Bible tells us to train our children. So understand, along with that, that punishment needs to be administrated when wrong has been committed. But I want to encourage you also to compliment and thank your child for a task well done. Be balanced. Be balanced. And don't hesitate to reward your child for good behavior. As you go through life, parents, make memories. Make good memories. A quote from Martin Luther, I used to say, spare the child, spare, I'm sorry, spare the rod and spoil the child. And this could be true, but maybe we'd be as quick or, or may I even say quicker to reward them or thank them for completing the given task. Yes, children are instructed to obey, as we saw back in verse 20, and parents were called to teach them obedience. And I understand there's going to be trying times. Uh, but Tony Landis told me many, many years ago, I don't know if we had any children at the time, and I think he had a few, and he said there's no two children are the same. I never told him this, but I'll tell him now. I thought, yeah, right. How is that possible? Same mother, same father. But now here I am a few days older, and Tony's correct. There's no two children are the same. But as we train our children with the help from the Lord, may we parent in the spirit of love, respecting our child's values and remembering, if forgetting everything else, remembering your child is the only possession you will be able to take to be able to take you with you into glory. So be careful as we teach and train our children. I also believe there, there needs to be balance in life, basically in about everything. So children, let's look at it this way. Disobedience is wrong and it displeases the Lord, so obey your parents. On the other side of the balance scale, parents, train in a kind, loving way, modeling Christ to them and pointing them, your children, to the Lord.
Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they become discouraged. Then he switches to verse 22 for my next point. Uh, is conduct in the workplace. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye servant as men please, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. So we're moving into our occupations. And what we're about to see is that God expects his children to work in, God, in a God-honoring way. Christianity does not offer an escape route from hard work. We are to labor faithfully, remembering that our highest calling is to please God. The warning here, <coughs> not to be, uh, not to work with eye service as men pleasers, referring to a changing pace when the boss or foreman walks around. We're to work constantly with a steady hand, not changing Again, not changing pace when the owner walks in. Working to please God, not to impress men. In singleness of heart, with a single aim, which is being devoted to the Lord. We'd be careful to give our, our employer an honest day's wage because we're serving the Lord, which is our real boss who is in heaven, ultimately working for Jesus who is our master, as we see in verse 24. So, yeah, this verse is speaking of slave and slave owner, but the principle can fit the picture in any kind of honest uh, employment. A quote from Harold Martin, the Christian worker ought to be the best worker on the job. So if you're working with other people, which many of you are, are you one of the best? I didn't say introduce pride here, but are you one of the best? Does God care if we show up late? Does God care if I take an extended break or lunch break? Does God care if I leave early? Does God care if I work subpar throughout the day? Absolutely. He cares and he's watching. So how should we be working? Whatever you're doing, you do it heartily as to the Lord and not to please men. Knowing that the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you are working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Heartily means out of one's soul or from one's being. The Christian should do everything uh, with all their heart, actively motivated by their love for God. Are we passionate about our work for the Lord? What we see here in, the, in these verses, we're, we're called to faithfulness. We're called to a life of integrity. We're called to honesty and a desire to work, given in our all, remember that we're working before the Lord. God cares about our actions when we're in our work clothing. Sometimes the men, we put on our work clothing, we think we're out of the circle. We're not. God cares about us when we're in our work clothing. Question, are we faithful in everything that we do? Is God pleased with our work habits? Whatever they may be. The words I trust we will hear someday is, Welcome home, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. That's often thinking about at the end of life, how we're going to be called home. But I hear, I also think that God wants, in reference to that, God wants us to be faithful in all things. Are we faithful in all things? In, in our homes, marriages, with our children, in the workplace, God, help us to be faithful wherever you call us to go. Wherever we are at, may we be faithful. We'll work until you come, then we'll be gathered home. But will we hear him say, Welcome home, my child. Welcome home. God's design, I believe, for the family is to prepare us 
for his family in the home that he is preparing. So we can look at this and we can say, we can question some of this, what God's telling us, but he's actively preparing us for eternity. Where we will be gathered around the throne, praising him for he alone is worthy. We might have questions about what we just heard, but maybe just thank God for his perfect design for the family. Press on, press forward. Husbands love, children obey. Press forward and just do uh, fulfill God's will for your life. I repeat, there's no one here this morning that by mistake, and there's no one here this morning without a purpose. Be willing to serve, and whatever you do, do heartily, and remembering that you're doing it for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. Just thank you again for your goodness to us. Thank you for bringing us through another week. Thank you for your instructions on the family, your perfect design for the family. Help us, Lord, just to be fulfilling your purposes in our lives. May we just press forward, working heartily, uh, not as men pleasers, but, Lord, remembering that we are serving you each and every day of our lives. Lord, may we be one of the best workers on the job. May we be serving you faithfully, giving you our all today, tomorrow, and forever. Thank you, God, for what you taught us this morning. Help us to be obedient to your word and to press forth with energy, serving you faithfully. In your name we pray. Amen. Can we have a song, please, Ed?